So again, this morning we have um, an activity page for our children, and Annette has done a, a great work this week. She also has a beautiful board back there that she prepared uh, that you can put stickers on with all the Beatitudes. Um, I think Rachel actually prepared this one. There's a lot of information on here. This is going to take you all day. Uh, just kidding. It's going to take you a little while, though, and so I want you to be diligent, kids, and work through this. If you work through this, um, you're going to learn a lot about uh, the Beatitudes. There's a lot to learn here. And we're going to look at the second part of the Beatitudes, but I think, um, I think all the Beatitudes are again written on here. So you'll get to work through all the Beatitudes. These are sayings of Christ to encourage us in our walk. And whether you're old or young, these are sayings also for you. So children, you can begin that this morning. Um, as a congregation, we're going to continue our series, Going the Right Way in a Wrong Way World. And I want to begin by opening to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. This is, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is really um, sharing the testimony of faith, those who have gone before us and kept the faith. And you know that as a Christian, and I think you really need to realize this if you're a young Christian or if you're a mature Christian, that your faith will always be tested right to the end of your life. That it really is an endurance run. It's not a sprint. That constantly and daily that you have to live out your faith in, in the strength that God provides because it's going to be tested. And at times you may even, on the count of Christ, lose your life because you're holding to the faith. This is the Christian testimony. That Jesus is worth more than, the, than, than my life. That he is worth more than everything I am and will be. He is my all in all. And so we learn about this uh, from Hebrews chapter 11. And we're just going to read a few verses about people who have gone before us, who have kept the faith. We read in verse uh, chapter 11. This is in the New Testament, the New, the, the, the new Covenant, uh, chapter 11, verse 31. There we read, By faith the prostitute Rahab... Because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what shall, more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury, the fury sorry, of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies, armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. 
These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. As we consider those words and as we consider our theme this morning, going the right way in the wrong way world, I I just want to say a few words before we read our text this morning. That when we're talking about going the right way in uh, the wrong way world, this is not a desire to disengage from this world. That when we say we're going the right way or wanting to go the right way in the wrong way world, we are saying that we are part of in this world, but we're not of this world. But yet we are still engaging constantly with those who are in this world. We're showing the the mercy of Christ to others. We are walking with a purity of spirit in a world of impurity. We are we are we are peacemakers in a world of hostility. That as we desire to walk with Christ in this world, pursuing his goals, pursuing the eternity that awaits us, we are not disengaging. In fact, we're more engaged. But as we are engaged, we will not deny. We will not deny Jesus. As our souls delight and as the person that we're seeking to serve in our engagement. And so that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that now we're on the second part of the Beatitudes. Last week, we looked at the first four Beatitudes. And now we're going to look at the next four or five. Depends how you want to see them uh, enumerated. The first four, as you learned last week, and if you weren't here last week, you can find the sermon online on our website, mercychurch.ca. Not .com, that's in California. Um, the sermon is there. But the, last, the first four um, Beatitudes, just quickly, focused on this. That we are dependent on Christ for everything. That when you're poor in spirit, or when you are meek, or when you mourn over your sins, you are go- coming from a place of emptiness, and you need to be filled up. You are very, very dependent on Christ. Well, the next four focus not on our emptiness, you could say, but focus now on our fullness. And in that, we are called to demonstrate what Christ has, or God has poured into us. And that's what we're going to look at today. How do we live out our life now, knowing that he satisfies us, knowing that he comforts us, knowing that we have an inheritance in heaven with him, knowing all of these truths, how do we live out our life now in view of all people, everyone? around us, in our homes, in our places of work, wherever we are called, how do we live out this life for his glory on this way? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so we're going to read the next number of Beatitudes. We're beginning at verse 7. There we read, Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a continuation of that thought. He says, Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were uh, before you. This is the word of the Lord. So again, this morning, we have to work four Beatitudes. That's how I organize it anyway, and they do fit well together. And we're going to begin with the first one. Under this theme, the way of joy in the face of suffering. That's our theme for this morning. We're going to look at the four Beatitudes that we're going to um, that continue on in our series. And the first one is this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I, I don't think this morning that you need a lot of explanation to what it means when I say, or Jesus says, be merciful. I think you know what a merciful person is. Is And I think you know what a merciful person does. Such a person is compassionate. Such a person uh, feels the distress of others. Such a person has pity on others who are in need. Such a person has a heart of forgiveness, that they're quick to forgive. But the prayer of Jesus, forgive those, forgive us as we forgive others, that that. That reality is, is part of a merciful character. You, you know that. To, to be a merciful person, it really is a disposition of the heart. And the question that we have to answer this morning is, where does such a heart come from? Not everybody's merciful. There's a lot of people that don't show mercy. And if it's a disposition of the heart, you have to ask the next question, where does such a heart come from that you desire to show mercy to people, that you care about your neighbor and their well-being? Well, I think the answer actually is found, and there's different places where we can find the answer, but the answer is actually found in the first four Beatitudes. I said last week that these Beatitudes build on each other. Well, that's true. Let me just explain this to you a little bit more. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, this is a heart, as we learned last week, that experiences kind of spiritual bankruptcy. It's empty. Jesus says, such a person is blessed because I will fill that heart up. That heart is humble. That heart is focused. That heart is, is in need of something that only I can give. Well, such a person with such a heart will become a merciful person. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, that mourning we learned last week is because you're grieving over your sin. And as Christ provides comfort and forgiveness for your sin, you become more of a merciful person. The more you realize your need for forgiveness, and the more God provides that forgiveness to you. Blessed are the meek. Strength under control. That's what we learned last week. Well, it's a gentle spirit that is filled with grace. And such a spirit will show mercy to people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. As you hunger and thirst for what is right, this is what God promises you. He says, I will satisfy you. And as he satisfies you, you have more mercy to show people. So the, the character of a merciful person surrounds the person that Christ is making you to be. Therefore, it's only in Christ 
through the forgiveness of your sins in Christ that actually you can become truly a merciful person, willing to put the needs of others before you. This mercy flows from God. You see, the very nature of God is defined by mercy. Blessed are the merciful. You know, you know that, that when Moses asked, some of you may know the story of Moses. He, he was the man that God used to, to take his people out of Egypt, and he had the opportunity of seeing, well, seeing something of the character of God, seeing the beauty of God, seeing the glory of God up Mount Sinai uh, in, in, the, in the wilderness. And one day he said to, G, to God, he said, I want to see your face. <laughs> I want to see your presence. I want to see you. And this is where God defines himself. He says, and the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness. This is Exodus 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. Here it comes. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He said, you cannot, uh, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. We serve a God who has mercy on those whom he chooses to have mercy. He is a merciful God. I like this quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this. He says, since men and women uh, do not cease to be sinful, <laughs> it's a great blessing that the Lord does not cease to be merciful. And God's people say, amen. We don't cease to be sinful. <laughs> we battle our sin. On, you will battle sin until you die. Welcome to the world. And we have a God that does not cease to be merciful. Now we need to follow the logic here. The logic is actually quite simple. God is merciful to you. He forgives your sins. Because he's merciful to you, you begin to show that mercy to other people. And as you show that mercy to other people, God blesses that. God is honored by that. God is glorified that. And he wants to give you more mercy. <laughs> and so blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is from God. A, a while back, I, we did the, the mercy cycle. Some of you were here. Remember the mercy cycle? I'm not going to go over it in much detail. You can read it. It's on the screen behind me. But the mercy cycle, of course, begins with Christ. He is the author of our mercy. He showed us his mercy. He died for us. That's where it begins. But as you move around the cycle, you, you, you receive that mercy by faith. You're like, okay, I'm forgiven. I'm a wretched sinner. This is good news. I want other people to know that I serve a Savior who has saved me, and he's full of love. And you begin to show that mercy to other people. And as that mercy flows from you, um, things get tough. I said it many times, and you've quoted me saying this, mercy is messy. As soon as you deal with the brokenness in this world, as soon as you deal with people who are hurting, people who are caught in addictions, people who are in and out of prison, people who are struggling with a whole host of issues in their life, as soon as you come into that, you're going to be entangled in the burdens and the stresses of their life. Your hands are going to get dirty, and you are going to show mercy. Mercy begets mercy, and so you continue to show mercy, but listen to this. 
because God knows that you can't continue in your own strength to show mercy, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. He will give you the mercy to continue to show more mercy. He wants to be merciful to you, and he is delighted as you show mercy. And so I challenge you this morning to be a, a child of God who is full of mercy. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will, they will see God. Maybe some of you like philosophy, philosophy and have read, read something from the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. He wrote a book once, and he called the book Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. The point is this. A pure heart is an undivided heart. It has has a singular focus. It's unfettered to the things of this world, and it says, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever, finish it, hope to be. That's a singularity of focus. All I am, have, and ever hope to be is on one person. Or another hymn, here is my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. That's where I want my heart to be, that's where I'm heading. It's a singularity of focus. Like the NBA player, the NFL player, or the any N players, who is singularly focused on improving his or her game, usually it's his at this point. But there are national leagues also. But I'm talking about the NBA and the NFL and the NHL, all those guys. They're they're singularly focused, and all they care about is improving their game, though some of them are Christian, and I'm thankful for that. But as they are focused so much on improving their game, we need to be improving our game. And what's our game? Our game is ultimately not becoming the best hockey player in the world or the best basketball player in the world or the best, I don't know what you want to be in the world, air pilot. There we go, I got one. It's to say, I want Christ to be defining my life. I want to be the best follower of Christ, not to compare myself with others, but to compare myself to his holiness and to his will. Am I walking in step with Christ? Am I walking in step with the Spirit? This is a singularity of focus. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As I was reflecting on this this past week, and I think I've shared this at a talk once, and I know some of the members are here from that when I shared this talk a year or two ago. But I, I, I don't know whether we actually see how precious being pure in heart really is. Amy Thomas on a Christian blog, she wrote this. She said, everyone wants to be happy, but not everyone wants to be what it takes to be pure in heart. We want to be happy in this life. But I'm going to ask you, do you really want to be pure in heart? And I'm going to ask you another question. Do you understand that being pure in heart is way more important than your happiness? I 
I pose this question to you. If you had to choose between being pure and holy in heart and being happy, what would you choose? You say, well, those don't have to be mutually exclusive. I, I know that, but I'm just giving you a choice. Amen. Here's why. When you pursue happiness and pleasure as your first thing in pursuit, what happens in that pursuit of pleasure and happiness is a compromising of your purity often. If happiness is your end goal, what is compromised as you try to reach that end goal is your purity. You say, I, I want to be happy. At what cost? Let's take porn. That's the connection to the speech I made. You see, purity is sacrifice on the altar of temporary happiness. But you ask anyone who looks at porn what the fallout is afterwards. Are they happy? No. What happens after you've pursued that pleasure, that happiness, that temporary happiness against God's will? Well, this is what happens. Shame happens, guilt happens, and inability to look at people in their eyes happens. Disgust happens. So much happens when we pursue happiness as its end goal and we sacrifice pleasure or sacrifice purity to reach that, that we don't realize that afterwards the fallout is terrible. Or maybe we do. But when you, in the strength that Christ provides you, as you make him your singular focus, your delight of your heart, and you begin by his strength to win battles against your addiction, against porn, against gossip, against alcohol, against drugs, whatever that addiction is, as you begin to win battles against those addictions, listen, your conscience becomes clear and clean, and the freedom, and the joy to wake up in the morning and say, hallelujah, we have such an awesome God. I feel so alive. You see, impurity just takes life from us, but a pure heart gives us life. It allows you to face the day with joy. But here's the, the, the other side of that story. That without purity, without a passion for holiness, we won't see God. This is where the rubber hits the road. Hebrews 12, verse 14 says the following words. He says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Here it comes. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
This is heavy. And it should leave every soul in this room here with me with a cry in their heart. As it left me this week with a cry in my heart. From Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from sin. Who can say that knowing that the heart is often defiled by sin? And the disciples say, well, who then can be saved? Who here will actually see the almighty face of God? Who will see Christ in his glory? Who will gaze upon his beauty here this morning? Who's going to see him if we need to be pure in heart? It's very interesting that the word pure carries the connotation, at least in Greek, but also I think in English, to be purified. (laughs) That there's a connection between having a pure heart and a heart that's been purified, having a pure heart and a heart that's been refined by fire, a heart that's been cleansed. And I'm so thankful for this connection between calling out for a pure heart and the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. This gives me hope. Because a heart that confesses its sin, a heart that's willing to be transparent, a heart that's willing to be vulnerable, a heart that's willing to be laid bare before the almighty God who's created us, a heart that harbors no deceit, that does not want to wallow in hypocrisy, a heart that that desires purity, a heart that cries out to God for forgiveness becomes a clean heart. This is the gospel. That nothing in you can purify your heart. And you will go on from one addiction to another, one sin to another, one act of shame to another act of shame, one feelings of guilt to another. That's your course without someone intervening. And the one who intervenes is Christ by his spirit. He says, I've died for your heart. I've come by your spirit to cleanse your heart, to give you a new heart so that the pure in heart will see God. This is the gospel. And to see God is to see him not from a distance either. I was thinking about what if Queen Elizabeth came to the streets of Hamilton? Then I said, forget her. I didn't say that. Um, what about Harry and Meghan if they come? It's the kind of mechics or whatever they've called it now. She's, she's exiting the, the, you know, a whole pile of stuff going on there. But whatever. What if, they, what if they were walking the streets of Hamilton or had this whatever? You probably wouldn't have an audience with Harry and Meghan. I don't know. Maybe you would. I wouldn't. You would see her or see him from a, from a distance. That's not God. When we talk about the pure in heart, we'll see God. We're actually talking about something that's quite intimate. That you'll actually be able to gaze upon his beauty. Not one standing in the hallway, but the door will be open into his throne room and you will be let in. That you will actually be able to see God. You won't be just receiving tweets from his throne room. No, you'll actually be in his presence. 
Revelation 22, verse 4 has these very comforting words. It says these. It says that you will see the Father. You will see the Son. I don't, maybe you can call it up. Revelation 22, verse 4. Sorry, I put you on the spot here. They will see his face. These are the children of God. Those are the ones who have hearts that have been redeemed, cleansed by the Spirit. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. He will call you by name because you are one of his. The, the sins atoned for, the sins are gone, the purity, impurities have all been atoned for. They're gone. And you're going to see the very face of Almighty God. This is a huge promise. The blind will see, the broken will see, all those Christ has redeemed by the power of Holy Holy Spirit will see, and the pure in heart will see God. That should excite us. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. We need to kind of jump thought patterns or jump course here a little bit and say, okay, now we're moving from the pure in heart. We've talked about the merciful, now we move from the pure in heart. Now we've got to talk about peacemakers. Well, when we talk about peacemakers... We're not talking about pacifists. It's not someone who is merely a peaceful person. Because I think if, if, if God was just looking for peaceful people, that would probably exclude half this congregation. Most people don't find me the most relaxing to be around. Does that disqualify me from glory? I don't know. I hope not. No, we're not talking about just being, a, I mean, a really peaceful, relaxed person. No, a peacemaker desires to bring about peace. He's the kind of person that prays for those who persecute him, as we read in Matthew 5, verse 44. She is the kind of person that turns the other cheek, as we read in Matthew 5, verse 39, and does not repay evil for evil. He is the kind of person that leaves his gift at the altar to be reconciled to someone that he knows he has something against. Matthew 5, verse 24. He is the kind of, or she is the kind of person that lives, breathes, and desires to share the gospel of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 says these words. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's a message of peace. It's that kind of person that God is, says is a child of mine, who loves peace, but loves ultimate peace. God so delights in people who try and strive for peace that he calls them his sons and his daughters. He's bestowed that title, of course, on his son. He is the prince of peace, but he bestows, also, bestows that title on us as children of God. He says, you are also peacemakers. You are part of my family. This defines us as a family. We are a peace-loving family. I'm the father, he's the elder brother, you are my children, and we all desire peace on earth. We're peacemakers. But this, because of time, we need to drive home the next point. It says this, from, 
from peacemaker, he goes right into persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Uh, falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. I thought long and hard and did some research on why this developed the way it did in Jesus' mind, as if we could really figure that out. But how does Jesus move from being merciful to being pure in heart to being a peacemaker and then saying, blessed are you when they persecute you? What's the connection? I think you will agree if you read the Beatitudes in the connection between a, a merciful person, a pure in heart person, and a peacemaker, all the same person, that there is actually a growing intensity in our Christian walk that Christ describes here. Now you need to follow me here. I know this is going to be a little bit difficult, but we got this, we got this, we got this, we got this, we got this. As we go from mercy to pure in heart to a peacemaker, we invoke in varying degrees responses from people of greater intensity. Okay, let me illustrate this. Because I think this is very important. Say, for example, that, and, and you all do this, so this is, shouldn't be a, a surprise illustration to any of us. Your neighbor's in need. Tree fell down on their house. I don't know. That's a pretty big need. Um, water in the basement. Children running across the road, you save the child, that kind of thing. I don't know. Whatever you do as neighbors. What you are showing there to your neighbor as you see a need and you help them, you're showing what? Mercy to them. They receive that mercy and they say thank you. There's no questions really asked about that. It's just received in love. Now, you get to know your neighbor that you help take the tree off their house. And they listen to you and they realize that you don't participate in their jokes. You don't throw in perverted comments. You, 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 you don't have discolored things coming from your mouth. Actually, you speak with pure motives and your heart and mouth are pure. And, and that begins to kind of unravel them a little bit. But then you realize that, they realize that, you know, your purity comes from God's word and, and that you hold to the sanctity of life in the womb, for example, to throw a big moral issue at you. At you. Or that you believe that the gospel has defined what a marriage looks like between one man and one woman and you sh that comes out because you believe in the purity of, of the word and God's will. And all of a sudden that mercy becomes a little bit eclipsed by your position, what you hold as pure and holy in your heart. And, and a little bit of tension begins to form in the relationship. Now, for example, let's carry the story on. Some issues arise in your, in your neighborhood, and, and you, you come in as, as the peacemaker, <laughs> as, as the one who wants to resolve this issue, and the one who wants to bring peace into your neighborhood, and, and you, you interfere love, lovingly, and maybe you're even invited, and you say, you know what? The way of peace here is the way of reconciliation. And we're going to have to say sorry, and we're going to have to seek the way of forgiveness, because otherwise this issue is not going to get any better. And you throw in the gospel. 
in your hope to bring peace to the context. Listen, one of two things will happen. Either your neighbor or your neighbors will receive that in, in, in a spirit of, of grace and, and it will lead them towards conversion. They'll see your good acts and they want to praise the God who, who made you and who, who, who's defining your actions. And so they, they're leading down the road of conversion. There's no persecution there. They're just walking with you now. One of two things happen. When we exhibit the love, the mercy, the grace, the purity of Christ in our neighborhoods or in our context, the other thing happens that we might be reviled. That we might be persecuted. That, that could actually turn on us. Maybe not immediately. But it will. Maybe if you cherish chastity and you honor purity, your life will be an attack on people who want to experience unfettered free sex. If you live simply and happily, you may show the folly to those who live with an insatiable hunger for more things. If you walk humbly with Christ and don't care to be self-promoting, you will expose the evil of pride. If you guard your tongue, season your conversation with salt, free from gossip, you may be ridiculed by those who delight in this. If you're spiritually minded, you may expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. If you choose not to drink excessively, but drink very modestly, you may be a thorn in the side of those who want to drink excessively. And the list could go on and on and on. Jesus is saying this. As you live a righteous life, it's going to evoke a response. It's going to cost you something. David Platt said this, he said, the life of a Christian, we don't have this quote, sorry, but the life of a Christian is always costly for those who follow Christ. It's just a reality. And stories abound of those who, who stood up for Christ, who shared the love, who showed mercy, who did no evil to their neighbor, and yet it was turned on them. As it's being turned on them all across the face of the earth, Stories of people pursuing Jesus, showing love to their neighbor, being peacemakers, being pure in heart, and facing death because of it. If you don't know these stories, then read these stories. They're happening all over the world. This year, was the, this year is the 64th anniversary of the death of the five missionaries who served in Ecuador and were killed on Palm Beach to the, I don't know how to say this word, Hornani tribe. Stabbed in the back. Maybe watch End of the Spear. Because they wanted to hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ and be peacemakers on earth. Jim Elliott, as a young man, we got some young people here under the age of 25 who, in university, had a passion to bring the gospel to Ecuador, to Peru, to this part of the world. He writes in his journal, he writes these words, you know these words, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You're not a fool if you give your life, because you can't keep it anyway. For the cause of Jesus, you're not a fool to go to Nicaragua, come what may, or Mexico. Or Papua New Guinea. People say, don't go to Papua New Guinea. It's one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Yeah, but you're not a fool when you do these things for Christ. Why? Because you want to gain what you cannot lose. 
Jesus says, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. Men and women have kissed the stake they were burned on. Men and women have prayed for their persecutors as they were being hung. Men and women have gone to death singing glory to God. Men and women have been sawed in two. They were stoned. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were mistreated. Of whom the world was not worthy. And Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, And all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from, and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Rejoice and be glad because your reward, your reward, and the author of this universe, when he rewards you and he says that reward is great, that's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be pretty amazing. It's going to be beyond your imagination. It's going to blow your mind. He is saying, when you walk with me and you show peace on earth and when you are merciful and you walk with purity of heart and you are persecuted, your reward is so great. Oh, I would just wish that God would open just a little veil of heaven now and just to show us something of that reward. But he's given the promise in this word and we need to hold on to it. It's true. Let me finish with this. The only one who could say this is Jesus. We learn in Hebrews chapter 12 that the joy set before him, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He rejoiced in the face of his death. Why? He was ridiculed. He was tortured. More than that, he drank the bitter cup of God's wrath to its dregs. But why? Why in the world would Christ rejoice? In the face of that. I'll tell you why. He, Isaiah 53 tells us why. To see his offspring. That's us. He wants to see us and we want to see him. That's why he went to the cross. So that we could be with him in eternity. And Jesus says, now, I, I have your eternity secure. I, I have your reward secure. And everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or child or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. The reward is great. And I think it's even greater for those who are tested greatly through suffering. I don't know how God's going to do this in heaven. But greater is the reward for those whose faith is greatly tested. And the question I leave you with this morning is this. Do you hear in these verses the battle cry to make Christ known? Do you hear in these verses the, the desire to, to live a life of peace in a world of hostility, to live a life of purity in a world of impurity, to be merciful in a world of mercilessness? Do you hear the cry? Does this define you? We're going to sing very shortly now, for the cause of Christ the King, 
we give our lives and offering till all the earth resounds with ceaseless praise to the Son. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we, we are so thankful for the cause of the King. We're so thankful that Christ just paints it so clearly what it means, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're so thankful that he just strips it all bare and says, this is what, this is what you are. God, we pray that we will be more merciful, that we'll have hearts of mercy, that we'll weep with those who weep, we'll mourn with those who mourn, and that we'll care for the broken, the hurting, the lost, within our midst and outside our community of believers here. That we'll walk with purity of heart, that we'll say no to evil, yes to righteousness. God, make us pure. And make us peacemakers. Lovers of peace, lovers of seeing people reconciled to God ultimately because that's the ultimate peace. Oh, God, help us. And prepare us for whatever suffering we will have to endure in this country as your children are suffering all over this world for the name of Christ and for his righteousness. Keep us focused on your glory, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.